so uh, welcome back to another episode of the Film Frequency Podcast. Um, this week we are talking about Denis Villeneuve's Dune that has finally been released in cinemas. It feels like it's been a long time coming for this film. Um, we're joined this week by Rob. Hi Rob. Hey guys. And uh, Sivan in Manchester, correct? Hey, hey guys, uh, nice to be back again. So... Um, we have a lot to unpack with this film, guys. Um, obviously, we've got our non-spoiler review up on our YouTube channel with Rob and uh, Ross. But um, this is going to be um, all boundaries crossed uh, spoiler review of the film, um, where we're really going to break it down. Um, I don't even really know where to start with this. Um, we'll start off with kind of saying about what we generally thought about the film and if obviously Dune is based on a Frank Herbert book um, that kind of started off the sci-fi genre essentially some of them say it's like the godfather of the sci-fi genre and um, then there was uh, the film that came out in the 1980s um, by David Lynch and now and then that didn't really get received very well and um, 30 years later they've tried to um, remake it again uh, with Denis Villeneuve, which I think we probably all agree is better than the 1980s one. But um, we'll, we'll discuss that then. And if you've read the book and seen the David Lynch film and generally what you thought about this new version of Dune. So, Sivan, what did you think? So, a uh, bit, bit of a context because uh, I want I want to uh, tell people like what, what my, my state of my mind was when I wanted so back in 2008, I actually got the novel when I was in like school. Uh, it was actually a birthday gift for me. So I like, I started like 50 pages. Like I think I read 50 pages in, it was the epilogue where they're like explaining how the world is and everything and like the, the planet of Arrakis and everything. I think I remember that. But other than that, I didn't know anything else about Dune. And uh, once uh, Blade Runner 2049 came and it did really well critically, then Denny Villeneuve was asked what, what he's going to do next when he mentioned Dune. I was thinking to myself like oh i should start reading the novel again like get myself like familiarized and everything then like after a point i thought i i i mean i moved on and i thought that let me just go like virgin like go like completely don't know anything about the characters or anything and see how good of a filmmaker he is because i always known dune has been like very contested in terms of like adaptation it's like very difficult to make it into a film uh you, there is also a documentary with uh, I don't know which director he tried to make it into a, like a five-hour movie or Jodorowsky. something. Yeah, yeah. It, and it failed and they made a documentary about the failure of filming that and it was like I, I knew of those all those things. So I thought like, okay, Blade Runner 2049 was like that good of a sci-fi film because it was very much in the universe which uh, Ridley Scott made and it, it had its own story arc and although like there was some kind of fan service and everything but on its own, it's, it, it was great. So I wanted like, okay, let's see how good Denny Villeneuve is as a filmmaker and a writer and everything. So that was like, so I, th I thought like, let me just go into the blind. Like I wanted to see that. <laughs> I, I To be frank, I was like expecting a lot because there wasn't any movie which has come recently, which was like, you you wanted to tell people like, oh, this is like the best film I've watched. Like everybody has to watch this. Like I'm also, I'm also a big fan of the sci-fi genre. And recently in the sci-fi genre, nothing has like come closer other than Blade Runner 2049. So I was like expecting this film to be like, I want I wanted this to be like a 11 out of 10 film. 
So if like I want to show that it was already high, and uh, Rob also watched it ahead of uh, any of us, and he was like saying like, "Oh my, this movie is like bonkers good and everything." So <laughs> usually Rob is very critical about certain films, and like I thought like if Rob like Rob likes is this much, I'm I th- I thought like I'm gonna like it so much because I like every film. I thought like, "Oh my god, it's gonna be that good." So my expectation was so high. and I, as as like i sat down on i at the imax here and it's like it's one of the best imaxes in europe in manchester so it's like i was watching it and watching it and watching it uh i i was telling uh, rob esley that whenever i'm watching a movie and if i look at my watch it means that it is actually draggy because i don't like to look at my watch when i'm watching a film and like if i look at the watch it means that i'm getting bored and i, I, I up until the you know uh, the part where the worm shows up and takes the spice harvester mm-hmm. i was like up until that i thought the movie was dragging and i could i couldn't connect with any of the characters i it's just like it was like it's like the opening monologue was like a 7 minute monologue and telling us like oh these are the things you should know or oh, let's jump in and it's like oh uh, this is like this or oh, let's move on next it was like uh, i thought visually it was outstanding it was like the best thing i've ever seen on screen in imax or anything but uh the characters and the character decisions and so certain things like i didn't sit well with me i thought uh, i was as i was telling rob yesterday when we were like discussing as well this movie should have been a trilogy instead of a two part movie and they should have delved into the first 30 minutes the first 30 minutes what they have talked about showed up all the world building and everything needed more breathing space because all i've always heard about the novels is like it's a very co- intricate complicated like very well densely populated novel and i was expecting that kind of a movie but i felt the movie was very to- dumbed down to like a, a very simple level it was like the world is huge but the characters in it were very small to my mind it was like mm-hmm. uh, so i was i was really underwhelmed and like and the movie ended out of nowhere as well that so was like <laughs> yeah That was my initial thought. Let's. I lured you into a trap, Sivan. I yeah. I had your expectations too high. <laughs> Just like yeah. a sandworm. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's speak about everything like later that you guys can go ahead now. If you let me speak, I'll keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Rob? So obviously you got you saw it before us. It was out uh, last month, wasn't it? Yeah, I saw it early September, and then I watched it again just this past Friday. and i loved it both times uh i essentially when i walked into the theater the first time i wanted to see a denis villeneuve film because he is one of the finest filmmakers i think working today in hollywood uh his level of restraint and his visual storytelling is so um impressive and the sound design in, in his films especially blade runner 2049 it's just unmatched in anything since then in my opinion so i went in with high expectations and it exceeded my expectations i thought that the world building was incredible every the emotions in the film uh felt so real as opposed to many other science fiction films that have that level uh that scale um it felt something lived in and um the although it's set thousands of years in the future it felt like something that was uh very close to our reality um so yeah i walked out with exactly what i wanted uh if not more in terms of 
an uncompromised vision. I, that's how I, I felt watching it. I did. I felt like this was a Denis Villeneuve film through and through. And um, yeah, I I didn't have anything. I you know. Part of the reason why uh, I, I feel a lot of the reviews they didn't necessarily like the film because it ends very, you know, somewhat abruptly. Um, I didn't have that same feeling because it's very transparent with you at the very beginning of the movie. It just tells you it's Dune Part One. It's not like many other films that have sequels. They they don't and uh, their endings may not have this firm conclusion. Um, they don't have that level of transparency. Then not every one of those type of uh, trilogy films, to me, they uh, start out with a part one or a part two or whatever it is. So I walked in with my expectations uh, already set when I, I saw that they were going to title it that way. Um, and yeah, I, I walked away. I, I think a lot of the spoiler-free review uh, tackled a lot of the, the things that uh, I admired about the movie. Um, and I, I was a big fan. And it's by far way better than the 1980s David Lynch one, which Roger Ebert said was like the worst film of that year, I think. <laughs> and it really is bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I actually will get onto this later on, Rob, I actually have a bit of a uh, theory as to why people didn't like how the ending of the film happened um and i don't think it's just down to the fact that it's part one of a two-part film essentially um i think there's another reason to it which i was talking to Corey earlier about but um coming out of the film myself obviously i had the hype behind this there was a lot of hype um stellar cast stellar director behind it at the top of his game everything was in position for this to be as Sivan kind of said, an 11 out of 10 type film. Um, and it, it's still, you know, again, it is the first part of this journey and of this story. So it's too early to say, you know, that, that necessarily this isn't going to be an 11 out of 10 type um, franchise. But um, I did, I really, really enjoyed, it's visually incredible. It is a, a 12 out of 10 when it comes to the visuals on screen. It's very artistic. As you said, Rob, it's uncompromised. It is a Denis Villeneuve film. It is not like Warner Brothers have went in there and tampered about with it. Um, and it is stunning. Um, I did have problems that Sivan said about character. I did, I did feel like the characters could have been fleshed out more. I understand the world building takes a lot to try and build up and I think he did a really good job with the world building and it didn't feel like a total slog, uh, slog either it felt like it was going at a good pace um, but my issues were in the tail end of the film the last 30 or 40 minutes um, after pretty much the betrayal but we'll get into that um, at the end um, so Corey what did you think you saw it a night before I did yeah I mean I was the same as you I was excited about it um, I'm actually the other side of the coin. I liked the characters. It was more of the world that I wasn't really believing in. It was a similar issue that I had with um, 2049. And I think I made the example of the scene where um, Ryan Gosling's character is sitting eating his food. And I thought that was a bit um, clinical compared to like the opening scene of Blade Runner where you see Deckard eating the food and the, the world seems very alive. And it was the same with, with uh, Arrakis, you know, I thought the city would have a bit more vibrancy to it. I know this is just, you know, their house was just coming in at this point, but I felt a lot of the sets were quite 
boring in terms of the like characters within them. And like I really loved the individual characters and the performances, but I just thought the world could have been built out a little bit more. Um, I would have liked to seen a bit more of that, you know, even a wee bit more of the the Fremen, the the Sand People, as we've been calling them. I would like to have seen a bit more of those characters. Um, you can see so many, like you can just tell how Star Wars has just been totally adapted from everything to do with June. Um, but yeah, I think um, I really liked it. I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to like it. Um, visuals were absolutely amazing. Soundtrack, I thought, was fantastic. I did speak with my dad afterwards. I think Hans Zimmer is not making the same level of music as he has done, but it's still like... Like, he doesn't have big iconic scores anymore, but they're all still ridiculously solid. Like, um, very, very good sound design. Um, I will admit, uh, Mark, when you were talking about the fact that the visuals kind of start to get a bit samey, especially all the, like dusty bits i was starting to get a bit of a board with um but i thought the characters were brilliant uh similar to has any of you read the book sivan did you get any further than the 50 pages no i i wanted to like restart the book and i and i decided like i want to test denny Villeneuve, like how good of a director he is like uh so i knew this like it, the novel is loved by everyone who has read it so i thought like okay let me see if he's if he's if he's gonna pull me in with this movie with the characters he's gonna choose, uh, I, I, I mean, after I watched the movie, I like, I went in a rabbit hole, like learning about the novel and like how the, what are the subplots which is missing, missing from the movie and everything. I thought like, let me see what kind of character he's taking from the novel, how, how his adaptation skills are, because Arrival is an adaptation from a very short story. It's like, like a page long. The entire story is like I've read the short story. It's like a page long, and he made up. It's like, it's my old favorite Hollywood movie of all time. Arrival is like, that's like, I was like, like, okay, let's see. Like, I'm going to trust the adaptation skills of Denny Villeneuve. Like, because he was also credited as a writer. There are like three writers, I think. So Eric Roth mm-hmm. and another one. I don't know. I don't remember the other, other people's name. But I thought like, okay, let me see how Denny Villeneuve stands on its own. I'm not going to come. I don't want any opinion. So I avoided the reviews. I avoided even your uh, Rob's uh, YouTube video about like the first impression. I uh, even I I when the trailer came out, I watched like one minute and I thought like okay, let me stop here. After the, when the uh, I just watched the one minute of the trailer. Even when the like the previews came on in theaters when I was watching other movies, I used to put my uh, headphones on and like I just close my eyes and like wait until the trailer passes. So I I didn't want any kind of influence, like any opinion or anything. So that's that's what I do. But I, 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 at a certain way, you get influenced by other opinions, but I, that's that's why my expectation was so high. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so I only, I only got the book over the summer there, and I've read two hundred pages of it, which is just up to before the betrayal. So um, I, I really liked how seeing the characters come to life. It's the first time I've actually done that. I would be kind of someone who most films I would watch, I wouldn't have read the book or even any aspects of the book before. So it was really interesting seeing, and I found it really helpful kind of, especially the whole stuff with the Ben Gesserat and your man, um, mm-hmm. uh, all the different characters, because the names, I think the pronunciation for a lot of the names was a lot <laughs> different in my head than what they're actually said in English. Um, but yeah, so I like kind of having that basis that really helped me. And as we're going to talk later on about the, um, the sandworm scene, seeing that on the page compared to what it looked like like visually in the movie it just brings it to life so so much more than what it looked like and probably my favorite scene of the film yeah i did find that um you know one of the concerns that people were having with this film was because it was such dense mythology that it would be hard to grasp if you hadn't read the book 
but I actually went with my family and my dad cannot um, anything half complicated. He is out. He's checked out. Like Inception to him is like boom, like way over his head. <laughs> and um, he grasped it all. He was grand with it. And so did my mom. She got it and she was totally on board with it. I did give them a very, very, very brief uh, synopsis of the film at the very start. And she did say that did help before she went into the film. But I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, who are the bad guy family? Who are the protagonists? <laughs> yeah. Um, what are they doing? Who's betraying who? Like it is, I don't think it's that hard to follow as far as that. Pretty clear as well. Yeah. I think that's just a testament. Like, yeah, the relationships in the book, maybe they're a little bit more, um, complex, but I, I think that Denis Villeneuve is such a great visualist that he, he found, he finds way to kind of simplify the things on the page, even though he's such a big fan in a way that's, uh, you know, easily digestible for everybody. Like even my sister watched it and she isn't really into sci-fi. So not, not into those like big world building type things. And she was really into it and everything made sense just fine. And a lot of the aspects from the book, like the voice, I think the direction that they went with something like that, which could be perceived as silly if done wrong is actually done in a very compelling and sometimes terrifying way whenever like in the the helicopter scene that they were in um trying you, to manipulate the harkonnen do you know what that kind of reminded me of um do you remember is it galadriel in lord of the rings you know when she has one of her like she goes apeshit moments um oh, right. when they go and visit the elves <laughs> do you remember this and she yeah. basically goes mad and that sort of like booming low tone voice comes out of her on top of her normal voice. And I was like, that's com- like, it felt like it was very similar to the Lord of the Rings. But yeah, I agree. It worked well. That voice for me, it was like, oh my God, this is where they got Darth, Darth Vader from. Yeah, it was like, like that for me. <laughs> Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, the force, how the force was created in George Lucas's mind. <laughs> they took it the, from Dune. Yeah, yeah. Li- I mean, li- like everything comes from Dune, right? Yeah. Later, later on in the, in the episode, I want to kind of get into some of my favorite letterbox reviews. But I did read one earlier that just said Timothy Chalamet gets to use his big boy voice. So, I think we can go like first act, second, middle act, and last act. We can break it down by act by act, and we can discuss that. From there, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, should we start with? Because um, one of the things, if. Maybe my favorite thing out of the entire film was the visuals. I thought the visuals were incredible. And um, there were just so many moments that we could pick out that were just, you know, you were like, that's class. That's really cool how they did that. That's really cool. Um, he was just on fire with his visuals, Denis Villeneuve. And I actually think that's maybe his biggest strength as a director is the visuals. Um, what did we all think about how it was all presented and the, uh, the color palette and how it was filmed and how it felt lived in. Yeah, a huge uh, shout out to Greg Fraser. He's a DP on the film and he's doing the new Batman film as well. The Yeah, so, you know, I'm like really, it was really nice. But uh, I, for some reason, I thought like up until like few weeks before I watched the movie, I thought it was done by Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins was the DP on the film. It was like, because, because when I learned it was not Roger Deakins, I thought like, oh, well, I, I was like, okay, my in, interest like in the movie like dipped a bit. Then I saw the Batman trailer and I saw Greg Page's work and I thought like, okay, he, Denny Villeneuve chose the right guy. So about the visuals of the film, 
uh, you know what's interesting you know the one scene which stuck in my mind like all throughout the mind till now i'll keep thinking you know when the panages that they come down during the rain and they mm-hmm. land during the rain that's the scene that keeps running in my mind that's the scene still keeps running in my mind every other things like oh my god it's good but everything is like still like the rain scene when they come land and they leave and the thunder and the lightning yeah, and, and the cloaks yeah. yeah and they're they're the weird like rectangular uh, yeah yeah and, that, and yeah because i saw it in 143 is to 1 the ratio like the biggest imax ratio possible you can see the when they walk and there's like a uh, landscape shot i mean a landscape shot and they walk from this right end of the frame to the left end of the frame and i was like oh my god like i, I can still be, like just see it in my eyes that that one but uh, on the scale of like how it was shot the color palette and everything um again like that's the thing right it's the scale of the film is like so huge you understand like oh yeah this is not a regular sci-fi film where like you have like these things but everything is so huge you can feel the uh, dryness of the desert and everything the color palette um, i mean i i get what uh, cory says is like everything looks similar and it was boring up up until point but I, honestly i didn't i didn't feel that my issue was with the was always with the characters but yeah the production design was outstanding as well like all the costumes were really nice it was like at at at, at no point i thought like oh this is goofy and i was like yeah i didn't have any of those issues with that yeah i thought it felt so real as well i think um the way that the the colors even of the desert that the sky isn't necessarily the most blue either it just feels like something that's cons- completely consuming these characters when they're out in the desert and it is this kind of uh scary place for you to step out into one of my favorite scenes is when they first land on Arrakis from Caledon uh, up until that point you had more or less spent time with Paul in the main cast uh on Caledon which is doesn't look too different from um you know the usual type of green environments and uh you know they step onto this different world and it just has this absorbing look into it it feels like a different culture a different world which is how it feels sometimes when you travel to um countries that are on continents that you, you aren't familiar with so i think that they captured like the true feelings of being in a place that's completely different from where you're originally from uh as well as the sound design i thought also like kind of mirrored those uh elements um yeah the the production design is gorgeous i think um the look of the 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 thornopticopters i don't even know what they're called the helicopters are <laughs> the whoever they're, whoever they're using they're the doctor they're they're just you know very real and tangible and nothing felt false even in the uh with the cgi but they use a lot of practical effects even that doctor was a practical effect too they they built something that was very large so yeah it's very impressive and i think the harkonnen scenes as i mentioned in like the spoiler free review it was one of the standouts for me it, it felt very alien ask and ridley scott ask with how um uh, uh like in the design work of hr geiger i think is his name who yeah uh, in, uh, interesting aliens. fact you know like um, uh you know the the failed uh, dune movie 
what the, what uh, the yeah, Yudorovsky y- yeah, she was going yeah, to use so, him yeah Geiger Geiger was signed up to write, uh, do the uh, design for that film yeah because it failed he went and did Ridley Scott's uh, he uh, it was it was like it was the same guy who was part of that project and uh, who did Ridley Scott's Alien as well so that's why you get very similar alien designs the xenomorphs are all inspired from the things from the dune and when you look at even like um the baron's design and the fact that he floats around that's something that can come off as so silly if done wrong but it is that actually chilling when you see him lift up from his seat oh man yeah. like that that too like you have to being it in the master that the vertical imax thing was so good amazing yeah i totally agree you you hit the nail on the head there rob like that could come off very goofy like it's definitely a risk to go for that um and i think it really paid off it was parts the baron scenes were some of the my very favorite scenes in the whole thing um again i would have liked to develop his character a bit more than it was but very creepy and i thought my favorite was the whole scene with duke leto where he had him paralyzed and naked in that seat and then just it's like out of focus and you just see the baron lift up and move this black cloak essentially coming closer and closer um out of the side of the frame and it was really really creepy and then the whole scene of you know when the poison gets released uh, when Duke Leto releases the poison and the fact that they find him up on the roof in a corner i thought that was so yeah, good as well it felt silly. like like almost like a spider or some sort of insect going away to try into a corner running away into a corner to protect itself essentially um yes. i thought it was just really smart stuff there yeah Smart yeah, moves. I I totally I mean I totally agree when t- talking about visuals. I know I I my I had a bit of an issue with the, you know, maybe the worlds would be a bit more inhabited by like background characters, but in terms of like tangible like physical machinery and everything feels really real because you know a lot of the films when we were kids the CGI was very questionable and it was our own imagination that made us have to think about, oh, this is actually real. Whereas now we're getting to the point in cinema where like even the scenes inside the the Thopter, it seemed like a real helicopter, which had all the different issues with it. It just didn't seem like, oh, press some buttons and then it works. Everything seemed very real. And same with the, which is why I thought the the first, um, the first run in with the worm scene was so impressive because you could feel the weight of this big giant um, trawler thing getting pulled into the desert which, could, as, as we say, could look very silly and could look just not very impressive if done wrong. Yeah. yeah. I loved with the Thopter as well. Um, I love the ideas of, especially when uh, Jason Momoa's character, what was he called again? Duncan, Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho, it's a great name. Um, when they, um, you know, like if you want to do a nosedive in those, I'm just going to call them mm. dragonflies. <laughs> when they, <laughs> you know, just like conk out, you know, bring in the wings and then just cause yeah. a nosedive and then start the engine again. Just really, really smart stuff. And it was really, really class to watch um, Duncan Idaho, you know, fly the ship about while the betrayal was happening. One question I have for you guys, just while we're still on the, the um, about like the practical effects and stuff. Why did they not have guns? Why is it all just swords? Because they have guns in their ships, but it was only essentially just swords that they had, which I thought... Oh the shields which they wear right so basically hmm. it only allows slower things to pass through so yeah. a, a gun is a fast projectile but i had the same doubt as well because he gets shot back back the spine thing he right yeah. so that is also like a projectile but it stays when the shield is there so it was confusing because i was going reading about that like after because that was a, like the thing which was always on my mind because you know when the 
fire the rocket from the thing to destroy all the ships. Yeah. It stays on it and waits for it to go and get it gets blasted. But thing like so like so technically you can use a gun, but they don't use a gun like that for me. But in the book, uh, I heard I read that in the book. Totally mentioned that like even slow projectiles don't go through or something like that. Mm. But that's why they have to come closer and like use their knife to kill everyone. That's why. Mm. Yeah, definitely visually, it's very, it makes it a bit more interesting, you know, just instead of like laser battles across the place, you know, the fact that it's hand-to-hand combat definitely makes it a bit more interesting. Yeah, and, and another thing that could have came off looking really corny was those shields. Mm. And, but the way that the David Lynch one, I think it's iconic for how bad it looks. <laughs> and they're, they're like walking around with a hexagon around their head or something. Like, it just looks so silly. But in this, it never felt corny and you still have full view of your actors moving around it's mm. it's a great uh visual idea so um shall we discuss a bit about the characters and the performances um because obviously Denis Villeneuve had lined up a stellar cast here some of the biggest names in Hollywood uh were in this film um what did we think of them what did we think of our leads um Timothy Chalamet as Paul and uh oh. what did you think of the character developments Okay, so the entire first act is like what character development, right? Like basically the entire first act of the movie is like setting up the world and character development. And that's where like the movie really failed me. Like uh, I wanted a bit more about the universe because I have zero knowledge about the books and everything. I wanted a bit more. So it's like, you know, the entire catalyst of the story is that warring houses, like houses which don't trust each other and they war each other. That's the entire uh, I mean, so like Ivan, overall... Do you want to come closer to your mic? Because I think it's cutting out every so often. I'm not sure what's... Oh, so sorry. You're all so, right. Go ahead. So, yeah, the entire, like, the overall arc is like warring houses. It's like what it's like a Game of Thrones set in space, right? So that's the thing. So I I, I, I thought the movie really lacked much more elaborate, elaboration in that. And they say, like, okay, the emperor is jealous of a house. So he's, he's taking another house and using them to, like, get rid of everything. And what it basically is, is just a two-minute dialogue, which, which gives that thing. And I thought, like, I wanted a bit more about uh, Leto, like, Duke Leto's, like, I, 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 as I was telling, discussing with Robbie, I felt he was more like a Ned Stark kind of a character, who's someone who's, like, very focused uh, and loyal and everything, but also very devoted to his own family. But he has to respect the traditions and stuff and everything. He doesn't he wants to follow the rules. He does, like he's someone who is betrayed because of his own like it's naivety like, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I kind of want. I you, you can see that's what he, he he is, but I wanted a bit more out of that. Like and like there are like and like why there is an enmity between the houses. That's not explained yeah, at all. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, because I wasn't even sure when I left the film. I think I had to check with my brother. Um, I was like, were we introduced to the Emperor? Is the Emperor the Baron? Because I was no, like, no, no. they just refer to this Emperor, yeah. yeah so, yeah. like, I think we should have at least seen who this person was. And, yeah, I totally agree. No, that... no, I, no I, I like they kept it, like, it's like, because, they. I mean, like, again, it comes down to, like, selecting which characters you want to give importance to in this version, in this first part of the film. Yeah. They, they, he might have thought, like, oh, and just bringing a big character for just a scene and, like, not showing him... The entire film must not have not. I I understand why Denny Villeneuve does that, but it plays well with us. You know that there's like a bigger evil 
which you don't see and he's all like you see he's like a master yeah. money it just makes it a wee bit easier to kind of understand wh- wh- what pawn pieces essentially are being moved here yeah, yeah. if that makes sense when it comes yeah, to that, one you know, house betraying not, another yeah. one and yeah. somehow there's a third like overlord yeah. that's essentially moving these pawn pieces you know i think it just helps especially when we move into this next film if this happens um so that people understand where this emperor has come from yeah and uh and another thing was like then then i then we learned that there's like the these benefits who are like an all controlling like who have been like secretly shaping the future shaping the past and the future and everything is everything what they plan i'm like okay like okay so the emperor is not the powerful now that's like these people and it's all like it's you know it's like so it's like they are giving you information and just moving too fast out like from that position for me was like that i was like okay, I, I, i see uh, yeah, again i said like uh, why do the arc uh, arc the other house hate this house are there more houses like was this like so are yeah. they not like yeah. uh, are they not, are they not involved in this yeah yeah are they not, are they not taking allegiances so So I mean, like, I mean, like, are are people in the universe that stupid that like once uh, this family leaves and they come and occupy this and they get attacked, so they won't know that it was like arc orchestrated by the emperor or something like? Is it is it that like because I wanted more of those intricate chess games and everything, but it was like more like we want to set this up movie for uh, Paul's character, so all the other things doesn't matter for you. So you, like, you want we want to give you that Paul's journey, so it's like. Yeah, it's it's again right. Imagine if uh, entire Game of Thrones was just about Jon Snow and the Owl, or the other characters were ignored. It yeah, was like, like that yeah. for me. You leave out half the family. Yeah, no, I yeah, I do yeah. agree. I can understand that that would help. Um, again, you could get the film a bit lost if you were to decide to throw in all these other houses. That would you know, it just becomes then even more bulky. Um, but yeah, I can get what you mean. It helps to see the bigger picture. Like, where's all these other houses? All we know is there's the Harkonnens. and the atreides and then yeah, that's it yeah that that's why i say that he could have made it into a trilogy where like the first 30 minutes could have been the entire movie and it could have ended with the betrayal that could have been a better uh, film as a story wise like it could have it, that could have been the entire first film like you know it's it has a huge ending like where there's a massive battle and like there is a big character dying like if they could have had like jared uh, i mean like what uh, uh, what's his name Oscar is a character like Duke Leto when he dies it could have been a big character motivation for Paul as well so it's like yeah it, you know he could he could have like they i mean again it comes down to production costs and everything making three movies like what 15 years of Denny Villeneuve's life so this movie the second part is not going to come for another four years so if it is three movies that's already 15 years of his life so i get why they couldn't make it into three movie part but it's you know those kind of it's like So it, I I had a very good ana- analogy yesterday when I told Rob it's like I was like I was re- I was just wanted to go sit in the theater and ask the movie to punch me everything it's got and after the movie it felt like the movie could have punched me a lot more and I could have taken a lot more but it didn't it didn't want to punch me this was like teasing me with all these punches and everything so that's how it felt the one thing like literally like ruined like I <laughs> ruined my mind about the movie was the doctors that the doctor guy's betrayal character this character motivation did not sit with me because it's like what was he thinking so it's like his wife is kidnapped okay he's been uh, serving this family for so many years 
so they don't know that there's a this this guy's wife wife has been kidnapped. So okay, that we can forgive that. Okay, so he wants to save his wife, so he's making a deal with the parents' family. Okay, so he actually because he he must know these people are bad people, right? So he actually thinks, okay, uh, they will release my wife if I do that. If they if I betray this family, okay, that also you can forgive. But what I don't understand is like he betrays them and he plans to kill the Baron. And also, he knows he's not going to survive himself. Survive. So when he meets the Baron, he says, "Uh, you promised to end my wife's suffering. He didn't say you are going to free my wife. He specifically says you're going to uh, let my end end my wife's suffering." So he's basically saying, "Stop killing my wife, or just kill her and le- let her like let her die." So it's like I don't I don't understand. So there was like so many better ways he could have like, I mean like I mean I, that character's motivation I couldn't understand at all. Like betraying this family. And also, it was very childish or very simple to say like, "Oh, he just switched off a button and like they came and attacked everyone." It was like that for me. I was like, you know, there's no, uh, you know, the heaviness to that kind of an. Uh, yeah, the betrayal. Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, man, there are so many ways for you to like save your wife better. or like, yeah, it's like, or like you know your wife is not gonna make out. You know you're not gonna make out of this life, and like, why is he? Uh, I mean, like. Hell, he he wants to kill the Baron. I don't know. So I don't know the exact character. I couldn't understand the exact yeah, character. Yeah, the motivation. Yeah, Corey, what did you think about um the story plots? Sivan's obviously touched on it quite a bit there about what he would have changed about the structure of the film. What would you have done? Um, I mean, all that. Yeah, I I felt the bits after the um the betrayal kind of started to win for me. Um. Just maybe it was because the bits I hadn't, you know, I hadn't read them. Um, but overall, I was happy enough because I knew, as as Rob said at the start, because you kind of you're going in knowing that there's a second part of it, and you know the story's not going to be wrapped up. I was kind of I was ready for everything the way it kind of played out. Um, I loved that you know. Don't you think that shouldn't be the case? Like on its own, this movie should stand on its own, not like saying like you're you're just making excuses for why the movie's not what you expected, it, right? Yeah, I think this. I was I just think, thinking, yeah. like on its own, this movie should have been like, oh my god, this movie on its own is that good. I don't know. I I'm waiting for the next. I, I, that's what I felt. I I wanted like that. You get yeah, it. Right? Ter- yeah, in terms of its production, I will agree. I don't think it holds well as a single film. Um, I think a lot of other movies like. Like in the past, the second one maybe would have already been greenlit or they had a filmed it back to back. But the fact that it isn't greenlit or it hasn't been filmed yet, um, me and Mark were saying earlier about the fact that like Gurney's character just kind of disappears, um, Thury Howitt kind of, you don't really find out what happens to them. And that kind of, you know, let's say for argument's sake, the second one doesn't happen. You know, just leaving those kind of characters up, up in the air um, is it doesn't really sit well with me. Mark made a really great point earlier about like, how he would have maybe filmed it and going back and forth between characters to kind of um to kind of show a bit more of the story but um yeah but over i mean i was still I, I still really enjoyed the film we were talking about performances there i thought rebecca ferguson was fantastic in it um she's really believable as you know that kind of character in a lot of these movies would kind of just be the the duke's wife but because she holds a lot of the power in terms of her Ben Gessert skills and the fact that she's training Paul in it makes her a really well fleshed out character probably even more so and the Duke Leto, um, but yeah, Rebecca Ferguson's a fantastic uh, actor, uh, and also um, Duncan Idaho, um, Jason Momoa. I think he's probably the most liveliest character in it, and the most maybe believable. Um, I think 
we could have had a bit more humor in it as well and um, but he definitely brings a lot of life to the scenes and it was i was very sad when he got got the chop what about you mark i i i also want to point out i have to agree rebecca Ferguson was the standout character the most fleshed mm. out character in the film yeah. I, i i could understand what she wanted from the film like what she what's the character motivation what she's about what she's going to do and everything like so i that's, that's the only character i actually thought was the well most well done character in the film. who's this jessica Yeah, Lady Jessica. Lady Jessica, yeah, yeah, no, she was good. Um, yeah, um, I I thought actually my favorite was Timothy Chalamet as the lead. I thought he did a really good job as Paul. I said to Corey that um, Timothy Chalamet has definitely been whoever his agent is is doing a phenomenal job with uh, for Timothy Chalamet because he's getting all the biggest gigs there is going in Hollywood at the moment, um, and he's clearly being kind of prepped up as really kind of almost like. well maybe not say the next Leonardo DiCaprio but kind of on that sort of level um he's in all the small very serious Oscar roles but he's also in the big budget things as well um and obviously you know I had a bit of apprehension is he you know is his acting chops strong enough to be doing that but after seeing him in Call Me By Your Name and then in this I was like yeah I was like fair play you're you are very good at what you're doing Um I thought particularly in the first half of the film which is the, my favorite half all up to the betrayal I thought um Tim Timmy boy did a really good job um I I really like the scene with the Bene Gesserit I am mother and the whole scene of the the box and just the acting that he did there really really strong the delivery of the lines as well just really really good I wish we had spent more time with Duke Leto. I don't think we got enough time as Sivan was saying, you know, if you're going to lead him up as the Ned Stark and ha- and then pull the rug from under us and kill him off, you need to really invest the audience in him and I don't think there was enough time to do that. And this comes down to the story structure and this is where this is my theory as to why people aren't liking where it's ending. And I think it's fine to end on quite a quiet note and abrupt note. But what I would have done is really what you had in this film was your climax in the film, the whole tension and build up and then the climax all occurred about 60% into this film. So you had about 40% of this film, probably about 30 to 40 minutes after your climax and that yeah. then just dragged. And I think really for all the story that happened after that betrayal, that could have been crammed down into about 20 minutes and then give that extra 20 minutes before the betrayal so that you end up with a real packing a punch when it comes to the betrayal and that means spending more time with Jugletto I would have had even moments in the betrayal I would have lengthened them I would have had because for example when J- Lady Jessica and Paul get taken and put into that uh dragonfly <laughs> um <laughs> you it just cuts to that straight away whereas I would have actually had them maybe on the run and trying to escape and even when they're in the dragonfly if you're not going to show them trying to escape in their own you know uh house what i would have maybe done is had their scenes in the chopper or in the dragonfly interwoved or interweaved with the other scenes where you've got um you know the defenses trying to protect the house i would have had that you know and then that way you're building up the tension on both sides whereas that came afterwards um Yeah, and just the betrayal in general, do more character stuff beforehand and then spend more time in the betrayal and then that last 20 minutes where Lady Jessica and Paul get away, snip that down quite a bit. And then I think it's fine to leave on quite of like this is an unfinished story. 
I think it was the issue of putting your climax of your film too early on. Also, like, you know that's going to happen, right? They basically say that they're going to die, they're going to kill everyone, and Jay, uh, Paul is going to survive, and um, Lady Jessica is going to survive. They literally tell you that in 15 minutes into the movie that this is the, these people are going to die and these people are going to survive. So I was like, there was no kind of a deftness to the story. You know what I mean, right? Like, like it was just basically like they're giving me information and showing me great visuals about it, but I couldn't feel what what they wanted to tell me. Yeah, and another thing I think they could have snipped out. I said to Corey, there were too many flash forwards to uh, Zendaya's character. I thought, I mean, the stuff that happened in the tent where they were on the spice and then you got all the flash forwards from the future i think that was a lot more powerful but the amount of times that we got flash forwards of just zendaya's face i was like i get it he's seeing the future we don't need to see this six more times and i was like you have so much to pack into this film get rid of that and put it into your character development of characters we have spent time with if you have the ability to put Zendaya in your dreams, you put her in your dreams. Like, every night, Paul's doing the right thing there, 100%. Yeah, I, 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 everything that you guys are covering, I pretty much agree with you on. Uh, it definitely feels like more like Paul's journey because there is that Game of Thrones quality to Dune, but there is also like the um setting up paul as this messiah type character within dune as well so there's such a strong focus on, on him and what happens when no, somebody even, finds even out that they're that the concept, one right even that concept of like taking him as a messiah they don't commit to that in the film that's what like you know that's again like they do they're telling me information like oh the benedictus have been like doing this for centuries and like they created a character again like it feels like an information to me i i don't feel like I, you know, Rob, I said like the world, so it opens with Zendaya's voice was saying that we have been suffering because of the spice. Our world has never been ours and everything. You hear that only in the voice. You don't see actually the people suffering. Like even like, so I was reading up on like the subplots which are missing. So I, 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 I read that like, you know, even I watched the David Lynch film, you know, the scene where like the people line up outside the gate to get some water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those kind of scenes could have been in the film saying that, how important water is as a resource on that planet. Like, I, I mean, I, I, so I, I also read that there is a scene where, like, uh, there, you know, when uh, this, uh, uh, what's uh, the guy who plays Raul Silva in uh, Skyfall? Javier Bardem plays uh, Javier, Stildar. Javier Bardem Stildar. comes to meet the Duke Leto. So it hmm. seems in the book there is like a dinner scene. He comes and stays for a dinner and they are talking about their world and everything. And uh, uh, Paul says that, oh, like, someone in our planet drowned and like someone from this planet like the Harkonnen asked what's drowning and he says that they literally like uh, yeah like died because they were like uh, underwater and the person says like wow what an interesting way to die so you know those, those kind of things like you know such science you know I think that all those things is in that in the trees where they says or oh, trees worth 100 men so it's like the I, I I I knew what they were trying to say is water gas and everything and you can see the people like uh, showing their hands and thinking he's a messiah like they are not committing to that as well it's like we just want to get done with the opening done and like let's get everything in the second film that's what it's felt. yeah but there is a small aspect of like okay they they are using their bodies fluids and like making tea 
like in yeah. one of the scenes and, and stuff like that. So, but it, it may not be like too prominent, but it's, there are, I think like some nods there, but yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you guys. I think Lady Jessica was like a standout aspect, but also Timothy Chalamet was great. I think as a stoic character. Um, and yeah, I, everybody felt real and not, nothing to me felt false or uh, silly or anything like that. It, unlike uh what was it no time to die a few weeks ago with a russian scientist because <laughs> like there, there were no russian scientist moments in dune so <laughs> yeah what um so then we'll, we'll maybe say what, what do you think was your favorite scene from the film like what was your real standout that you went a star to i think when they first arrive in arrakis is my favorite scene yeah when you they are you're inside this um inside their ship as the doors are opening and you have these silhouettes of these characters arriving in a different world and also the bagpipes the Hans Zimmer score is so impressive at that moment and you see this different culture different world I think that's something that resonates for I think anybody who has traveled anywhere it is very exciting when you arrive somewhere different but it's also like a, almost like a culture shock type situation. So they, that feeling just through imagery and sound was very effective to me. Yeah, I found that um, that scene in particular was the biggest thing that reminded me of Star Wars out of everything. I think it was just the whole, it felt like Padme Abmadella, um, like arriving the way that Lady Jessica had her, you know, she was kind of cloaked in this kind of uh, netted yeah. hood. And... Um, yeah, it actually felt like a family as well. You know, like there's some films where they're like, oh yeah, they're part of this family and it feels like there's two people in the family. Um, this actually felt like there was, you know, a proper large house, yeah. basically, um, when they were getting off. Yeah, and li li little scenes like that really make the film because seeing any other sci-fi film, they would land in like a hangar and then the doors would close and then they would like <laughs> walk inside. Whereas there, they were like, you could feel the heat hitting them as the doors opened, you know, you could really feel that they were, and it was a perfect way to, introduce you know the, the the ones calling out thinking it was the messiah and it was yeah visually it was, it was a very strong scene uh, what would be your favorite cory oh cory yeah go ahead uh, yeah my my favorite scene is still definitely the the first run-in with the sand worm um what do you call those guys that i can't pronounce the proper name for the worms can anyone um, it's like more deep <laughs> More no, as, as, as much as I, I love IMAX, the picture quality, the sound quality is worse. It's always too loud and you cannot make oh, sense of loud, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. make sense of these small words and everything. <laughs> so yeah, I had to watch I had to I had to watch it the second time subtitles on my TV to get like <laughs> minute like you know those, those certain plot points. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's no oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, good, but sorry. No, yeah, that scene definitely um because we were saying earlier about, you know, the Duke Leto not getting much screen time. But in the book, it's quite prominent that he wants, you know, he says to Paul at the very start, he wanted to be a pilot. And this was one scene where he had the chance to show his, you know, pilot skills because he was like, yeah. we're getting down there. We're getting the people off that um, trawler and we're getting them out of here. I thought that was really impressive. But reading that scene, it was like in the 200 pages I've read so far, it was the most interesting scene in the book. And on screen, just visually and with the sound it was just so much more powerful like you could really feel the, the tension um especially and also the bit with the, the big balloon picking up i that didn't really um 
come across to me very strongly in the in the book so i wasn't quite sure what was going on but yeah visually seeing it and then the bit where paul's just sitting there like either like where's paul and then it cuts to him just on his knees in front of the trawler literally like 30 seconds away from getting munched by this big giant worm but yeah it was definitely the most powerful scene for me I agree. I, I love that scene. I think that's maybe my favourite as well. Um, I was saying to Corey, that was the glimpse of where I was like, oh, we're watching something really special here. Um, it, like a, a director, a masterful director at work sort of thing. Um, because, I mean, the concept of it is pretty straightforward and it could be done, you know, it clearly takes really good direction in order to make that very suspenseful and it definitely felt like it it felt like i was saying to Corey a bit like jaws the sort of suspense you get from jaws it felt like you guys need to get out of there now um and the scale of it as well the scale was incredible and you really really grasped that with these sandworms it wasn't just like i don't know like a bit of a problem if you're out in the desert it's like no this is the major major problem if you're out in the desert is being munched by these sandworms uh, for me, uh, I mean, uh, as I said, visually, the where when the when it just land in the rain, that was like any for me, like any cinema which has a rain, good rain, they 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 get my like thumbs up, just like that for me. But uh, I have to point out like certain like you know visually he tells the story like you know how when they show Duke Leto first they show the matador and the bull, the statue of the bull at the matador with the thing. So it basically says. The house Atreides is the bull, and someone is controlling their entire thing. Which, like, the matador is like, I really love that. And the other thing was like, before they leave for Arrakis, uh, Paul goes and takes the water, touch, touches the water in his hand, because that's the last time he's gonna touch water for a while. So it's like that much around here. Yeah, that was that was like really, really like yeah, those kind of I visual nods. Well. Yeah, yeah, those great. visual nods were like really nice for me. Um, I was it's so a great much point with the bull. I, I I was actually questioning, like, what's the metaphor at play here? But that now that you mention it, that's exactly what they were probably going for. Yeah, because that's why I wanted. Like, this guy is like he's uh, he's he's the bull, and somebody's controlling him. Yeah. We don't get you don't you don't get that. It's just you just limited to that kind of a, like a, a single frame. Yeah, the the veil it. was was lifted when the Harkonnens took over. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. So, and literally, like they also show the packing of the bull in a box and taking them away. It literally you can see those kind of things like they are like it's like the bull is being packed and taken to another planet. Uh, like it's like that. Uh, the other thing was I wanted to say was you know the big reveal of the worm. I mean, why the fuck was it dark? I was like, oh my it was kind of dark. Not gonna lie, yeah. yeah. That's for part two. That's for part two. You'll see in the light. <laughs> <laughs> On that I mean, note. Uh, speaking of Paul's character, I thought uh, for me it actually took off in the final like fifteen minutes where he kills the other guy. I love I, that I thought, scene. Yeah, I thought that's the only. I, I, I. The for me the end in the entire film, uh, Lady Jessica's character and the last fifteen minutes were like the character-driven moments for me. Other than that, I couldn't oh, see anything. I totally felt the opposite. I hated that last scene. Part of the problem, I said to Corey, was my cinema was absolutely packed and the heating was up to like, I don't know, 100 degrees. I felt like I was in the desert with those characters, <laughs> which wasn't That's helpful. So real. <laughs> um, but yeah, that last scene, I just, I mean, the last 20, 30 minutes to me, that's where the whole quality just dro- dropped. I don't know. It felt almost like Denis Villeneuve had kind of stopped, kind of was kind of painting by numbers at that point. I, I just didn't like it. And I thought it was very drawn out. 
It's just nothing was really happening. And, yeah, didn't really like it. And I, the character developments, Jessica, I was saying to Corey, she just kind of went quiet. Now, obviously, I understand that that's not her expertise when she's in a desert. But it just felt she was like, yeah, what are we doing next, uh, Paul? And Paul was in directing everything. And then she didn't have anything to say. She was still traumatized from the betrayal, I guess. Or, or, or she knows what's going to happen. And she's like, you know, like silently controlling her son and everything. You know, uh, I have a like a prediction that uh, I, do you guys want to hear like whatever? It might be a spoiler. I I don't know. I have any idea, but I think that's what's gonna happen. Go ahead. Yeah, you should bend that sort of prediction. You know, you know, there's a premonition of Zendaya stabbing him, right? Oh, okay. oh yeah. Uh, yes. I I think I think it's gonna be Lady Jessica who's gonna stab him. Stab Paul. Yeah. Oh because no, I don't. He also he also has the same knife. Which the you know the servant lady gives her. Mm-hmm. No, but I don't I don't think so because at the same time, at very early on when the Ben Jesuit are speaking with him, he said, "Do you often experience things just as you dream them?" And that wasn't the case, right? Like he has these visions, but they never turn out exactly as yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. as those visions. Like even at the ending, he gets stabbed right by the yeah, friend. So- yeah, that's that's thing. That, you know the you know the other in, in another flashback. I mean the forward scene where the the guy who gets stabbed says like, "I'm gonna teach you the ways of the sand." Yeah. I think that's gonna be Javier Bardem who's gonna who's, who's gonna be that, and Could the be. person who who stabs Paul in the thing is gonna be Lady Jessica because I I don't know man like I it's, I I have I have no idea. I just thought I was was watching me. That's what occurred to me. On the note of uh, what we're projecting will happen next. Um, what do we want out of this next installment? Obviously, this was part one, and there's been talk that Denis Villeneuve um, is going to make another film on the second half of the Dune book. But then he had also said if he got to green, like if he if he got what he wanted, he would love to make this into a trilogy. So you yeah. have um, the first film, the first half of the Dune book, the second film, second half of the Dune book, and then the third film would be Dune Messiah. Um, so what would you look towards for this second half, the second chapter, essentially? And do we want any, uh, there's also been talk of like spin-off, uh, TV shows on HBO Max to do with this. Mm. Do we want any of them or do we want to keep it just, uh, you know, focused to the cinema for now? Um, just, and also just... how long do you think it's going to take to develop the next film? Cause this film was made on its own and there's been no pre-development for the next one yet. Just before we start on that, has any you guys, do any guys know how the book ends? Or yeah. mis- no. Oh, you know how. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, so there we go. That <laughs> that so C-Man might not be right after all that. <laughs> yeah. That makes that a bit more interesting, because I was going to say we could have predictions if nobody knew, because that would be, you know, fair game, but it's definitely not fair game of Rodman. I anyway. think Denny, he's stuck pretty close to the book. Like, he's, even in terms of the rhythm of this movie, I think fans of the book, they will be satisfied, because... Up until what I've read, as well as afterwards, when I didn't bother reading the rest, and I look up the YouTube video, <laughs> it's pretty spot on. Honestly, I don't think that there's much more he could have. He is very faithful to the book because he's such a big fan of it, and so I think it's pretty accurate to how the book kind of unfolds. Um, I, so I, 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 I have a feeling that the rest of the part two will also be quite similar in that regard i also learned that duncan idaho like actually switches sides to the uh haga the for firm people 
he actually works for them then out of respect for paul he comes back and joins the the book that's what i heard uh, I, again like with, when i went through the rabbit hole uh, yeah. uh, that's like a character development i thought oh that was also something a bit if they would have made it into a bigger film yeah yeah i think they actually they in this one they killed duncan and then they also kill um the, the fremen out in the that was helping them out uh i think in the book they actually stay alive okay but uh, this increased the stakes for me by having them die Oh, yeah, I think so, uh, yeah, Duncan I mean, should have I maybe think... been killed back in the betrayal. That was another thing, just to try and give more time in the betrayal and prior to the betrayal. I would have maybe I said to Corey about maybe killing Duncan when they were trying to escape, rather than this like subsection afterwards. But, yeah, it again, does like... raise the stakes by killing off quite a few characters. It, it's good yeah. to have that. It honestly again, didn't like... even feel like a PG thirteen movie for me. Or whatever the rating is over there. What what was the rating in Ireland? I don't know. P- Couldn't tell you. PG twelve maybe. Probably or, yeah. There's a few young there's a few young people around us like so. There's definitely um... yeah. It felt kind of a little bit grittier. I I think so. And there's a lot of uh, deaths too. So that's always that's always good. <laughs> I mean, Rob. Uh... When you talk about deaths of Duncan Idaho and everyone, like for you, because you know certain backstories about the characters from the novels, the deaths feel more prominent to you. For me, it's like I just saw them 15 minutes ago and they didn't stick with me. I like I don't care. I didn't very much care when <laughs> Jason Momoa mm-hmm. died. I thought they, they just wrote him in. I didn't know he had like a prominent like role in the books. I thought they just wrote him in for a comic comic relief. Mm, I didn't really see him as like a comic relief. I saw him more as like, this is the probably the most natural, less form, least formal person within the group of characters. So we immediately connect to him when he says, my boy, my man, whatever, the usual Jason Momoa is. There has to be at least one my man inside yeah. the film that he's in. Yeah, you, you connect to him because he's the least regal. I feel, and that's, and Paul has that connection with him. So when he dies, yeah, maybe it's not to the extent of like plus, a plus fully they, fleshed out character. Plus they tell us he's gonna die as well. So you kind of expected that. Yeah, I think like the Benny Jesuit, when they meet with the Harkonnens, it kind of tips you off that they plan to kill um, uh, Leto and everything, but I mean, I, I still think it works. Do they? Do they plan? Yeah, to do they said. Oh, they are speaking with the Harkonnens, and then they go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Leto, we won't bother, but we need need to ensure that Paul the and, Paul and Lady Jessica Jessica are. Yeah, are they've got their it. own, you know, prerogative essentially. You know, they're, yeah. They're, yeah. Also, yeah. another thing I was thinking yesterday after I spoke to Rob was like the the scientist, the character who helps them escape. I, I didn't get a character motivation as well. He knew the the uh, house Atreides is gonna die that night. He doesn't do anything. After they are killed, she helps them. I don't know. I don't know at what point she decided to switch and help Paul and uh, Lady Jessica. She because Duncan Idaho comes and talks to her and like I, I couldn't understand why all of a sudden why she wanted to help them because she already knew the entire family is gonna die that night. Yeah. So um, late kinds. She uh, is like the. The daughter or the granddaughter she was a man in the book as far as far as i can remember and um, she is kind of the 
the daughter of the she's like the main ge geologist on the on the um planet and that it's her like big main mission to kind of turn it into like a paradise so i think yeah. that's because you know the uh house of treaties kind of promised that and maybe she thought that was like the first house that might actually be able to um you know facilitate that happening maybe that's why she was totally into it but there's a really good bit at the end of the book in the appendix which kind of explains her well his father's motivations in coming to the planet and the fact that they all kind of um like not worshipped her or worshipped their family but kind of like accepted them because they were going to try so hard to get them from squalor to something you know yeah again again they touch upon that as a information saying that the harkonnens never wanted water on the planet because if water is there they won't be but again it was like oh here's information about that like <laughs> yeah so, yeah, so that's the biggest the biggest issue of, of you know taking a huge book and putting it in a film is that a lot of those little details will be missed um the uh so that's as they say that's why i was comparing great and a 2049 because um i mean I, i also it didn't like it was not a direct continuation of the whole film it it was like it had its own core like a heart the thing was uh he he wanted to believe he was a human uh ryan gosling's character mm -hmm. wanted to believe he was a human and he was someone who made a difference like he you know if he wanted to feel that thing you even you when you're watching the film you felt for him when he found out he was now a special so it's yeah. like you it was it was it was hard to take in right i couldn't have a, that kind of a moment in this film on its own like so it was just basically like great visuals information it was just just that for me mm. so what about the next film when do you think it'll be out um is there anything read, that you would rather if you had to give deni filanu script notes what would you say <laughs> to him uh what would you say keep doing this cuz you're doing a good job i read that they have finished writing the script for the second one eric roth has finished writing the script for the second one so they just need approval for filming and pre production work i think so uh but, but what i want from the second film uh more fleshed out characters and character arcs and uh, more more character moments than visual moments for me i mean the visual i, I knew going into the film he's going to nail the visual themes like 100 out of 100 i just wanted to see he had the story beats because again his previous work in prisoners sicario uh, arrival like oh my god that that character beats was like outstanding mm. right so yeah i definitely think for me um i'm rashi might be able to confirm or deny this but um or sorry rob um I would like in the first at least in the first hour of the next one to kind of as you said Sivan more characters maybe you know build up the relationship with him and uh, Chani Zendaya's character a bit more of him getting to know the the Fremen people and maybe harnessing the desert power uh, that would be really good to see but the one thing I do not want to see in the first hour of this next movie is like planet hopping I don't want to see bouncing about meeting all these different characters um because it seemed like that's the way lady jessica wanted to go she was like we're getting off world we're going to go round up everyone for the fight and then paul's like nah i'm staying here the relationship with this sendea chick here so um, <laughs> yeah so uh, rob rob don't know if you can confirm or deny whether my um my predictions were true um i think that the second half of the book that they that they'll be covering is As Denis Villeneuve has kind of alluded in the interview since, it's it's a little bit more action based. Um, so I think they're going to hit the ground running a little bit faster than in this one. Uh, they also they seem to be writing it in 
with um, Zendaya's character being much more of a protagonist in this one, or more, much more prominent character, even less, maybe Paul is going to take a bit of uh, a step aside even uh, because they want to focus that, which is a good idea. I was even questioning, you know, they're going to focus on these colonizers of this uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. foreign land <laughs> as it, and of course they're the protagonists, but at the end of the day, like they're still, colonizing this this area so it's kind of like a blind spot i think in terms of you know this book was written in the 60s and ultimately it is although paul is the protagonist uh it is like a is not an endorsement of like um of, of that of colonizing uh, foreign lands and like taking the, their resources and stuff but I think it's a good idea to kind of get their perspective a little bit more of the Fremen people. So I think uh, that turn in the narrative for the next one would be a good idea. Um, and yeah, I, I think maybe since so much of it has been set up in, in the first part that in the second part, we can kind of get into the action a little bit more. And it doesn't necessarily mean big action scenes, but maybe a little bit more effective, um, active characters. Yeah, I would totally agree. Yeah, the, the big thing I want is more character development. Um, as Sivan said, you know, he definitely should know by this stage he can nail the visuals um, and just make sure you concentrate enough on really building those characters up. That would be my big ask. But yeah, everything else, really, really like. And more Sam Worms, please. And writing of Sam Worms <laughs> would be much appreciated. I wonder who they're going to cast as the Emperor, too. True. Yeah, I, I was telling Rob, I hope it's not like a snow character in Star Wars. <laughs> oh, no, no CGI. CGI. Please, no CGI. No. Um, yeah, before we wrap up, uh, uh, we did this in the podcast a while ago where I went through some of my favorite letterbox reviews of this film, so, but there's some class ones for June, I have to say. <laughs> so I'd like to run through a few. So, um, Julian, give it a three and a half stars. This is out of five. She said, I'm sorry, but I can't take Timothy Chalamet seriously. He looks like a guy who knows too much about TikTok. Carson give it four, uh, four out of five she said my takeaway is that Jason Momoa is my favourite action star a million dollar smile and a great head of hair which is quite good some of the more negative ones uh, Cookie give it two and a half stars she said not bad if you ever just feel like staring at the colour orange and not feeling a single emotion for two and a half hours <laughs> another two and a half one is 155 minutes of industrial design and thousand yard stares while Hans Zimmer honks at you with his giant mechanical <laughs> goose <laughs> yeah so there's some of the you can find out more great reviews on letterbox please sponsor us <laughs> um just finally uh, to wrap up um shall we try and give it a rating out of 10 for each of us um sivan start us off uh i mean i mean if if i if i'm like objectively rating it i would give it a 7.5 but since i enjoy the visual and everything i would give it a 8. Corey? Uh, yeah i'm gonna stick with my 8 out of 10. Um, although there's been a lot of negatives in the days, days since i think um, as you said earlier and i do not like saying this normally about films but i did feel this watching it i was like i want to see the second one right away you know i feel like i will appreciate this first one so much better 
once I see it really does feel like one film split into two so uh, if you know what I mean so yeah I'll still stick with my 8 out of 10 and hopefully the second will um, will solidify that good uh, Rob uh, I would give it a 9 out of 10 uh, I think you can't get a better cinematic experience especially if you watch it in IMAX um, I think it's just like the work when you watch it, I, I feel like I'm watching the work of a master. Uh, yeah. in in terms of, you know, the conclusion of the movie, it, it does feel uh, like there's a lot of loose ends, but at the same time, I feel like at the very start with them titling part one, it's kind of transparent with, with how they decide to lay out the story. So uh, yeah, I would give it a nine out of 10. I was very, very happy with it. Um, and I think I would uh, match Sivan with a 7.5, I think, out of 10. It is, for all the kind of bits that I've picked at um, over this podcast and kind of talking beforehand about it, um, I still think it's probably my favourite film since the pandemic. Um, and it did stay with me. Like, all today I was thinking about it, um, which is more than can be said by a lot of films. And I do want to see the next chapter. And as Corey said, the next chapter could actually elevate this um, because it is very much one half of a story. So, um, and, and I, I do want to see the next one as well. So I hope that people turn out to see this film. Go see Dune so that we definitely do get a second and hopefully third chapter to this story. Right, we'll finish it up there. Um, that is our spoiler review of Dune. Um, thanks Rob and Sivan for coming on and Thank you. discussing it you um, can uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and hopefully you'll, this episode will be um, we'll have another one in a couple of weeks time so look out for that and keep watching movies mm-hmm.